Section 12 of The House of the White Shadows. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The House of the White Shadows by B. L. Fargen. Section 12. Book 3, Chapters 4 and 5. Chapter 4. Husband and Wife. Well, they were married, and the day was never forgotten in the village. Mr. Almer made everybody merry, the children, the grown-up people, the poor, and the well-to-do. New dresses, ribbons, flags, flowers, music, and feasting from morning to night. There was never seen anything like it. The bride, in her white dress and veil, was as beautiful as an angel, and Mr. Almer's face had a light in it such as I had never seen before. It shone with pride and joy and happiness. In the afternoon they departed on their honeymoon tour, and the old lady was left mistress of the villa during the absence of the newly married pair. She exercised her authority in a way that was not pleasing to us. No wonder, therefore, that we looked upon her with dislike and spoke of it as an evil day when she came among us but that did not lessen our horror at an accident which befell her and which led to her death. Mr. and Mrs. Almer had been absent barely three weeks when the old lady going into a distant part of the grounds where workmen were employed in building up some rocks to serve as an artificial waterfall fell into a pit and was so frightfully bruised and shaken that when she was taken up the doctors declared she could not live another twenty-four hours. Letters were immediately sent off to Mr. Almer, but there was no chance of his receiving them before the unfortunate old lady breathed her last. We did everything we could for her, and she took it into her head that she would have no one to attend to her but me. "'My daughter is fond of you,' she said on her deathbed and will be pleased that I have chosen you before the other servants. Keep them all away from me." It was many hours before she could be made to believe that there was no hope for her, and when the conviction was forced upon her, she cried, in a tone of great bitterness, "'This is a fatal house. First my husband, now me. Will Beatrice be the next?' and then she bemoaned her hard fate that she should have to die just at the time that a life of pleasure was spread before her. Yes, she spoke in that way, just as if she was a young girl instead of an old woman with white hair. A life of pleasure. Do some people never think of another life, a life of rewards and punishments, according to their actions in this world? The old lady was one of these, I am afraid. Three or four hours before she died, she said she must speak to me quite alone, and the doctors accordingly left the room. "'I want you to tell me the truth, Denise,' she said. I had to place my ear quite close to her lips to hear her. "'I will tell you,' I said. It would be a terrible sin to deceive a dying woman, she said. I answered I knew it was, and I would not deceive her. Beatrice ought to be happy, she said. 
I have done my best to make her so, against her own wishes. But is it likely she should know better than her mother? You believe she will be happy, do you not, Denise? I replied that I could not doubt it, that she had married a good man, against whom no person could breathe a word, a man who commanded respect, and who was looked upon by the poor as a benefactor, as, indeed, he was. That is what I thought, said the dying woman. That is what I told her over and over again. A good man, a kind man, a rich man, very rich man. And then we were under obligations to him. Had Beatrice refused him, he might have humiliated us. There was no other way to repay him. I could not help saying to her that when Mr. Almer rendered a service to anyone, he did not look for repayment. Ah, she said impatiently, but we are of noble descent, and we never receive a favor without returning it. All I thought of was my daughter's happiness. And there was the future, hers as well as mine. It was dreadful to look forward to. Denise, did my daughter ever complain to you? Never, I answered. Did she ever say I was a hard mother to her, that I was leading her wrong, that I was selfish and thought only of myself? Did she? Answer me truly. Never, I said, and I wondered very much to hear her speak in that way. She never spoke a single word against you. If she had any such thoughts, it would not have been proper for her to have confided them to me. I am only a servant. That is true, she muttered. Beatrice has pride. Yes, thank God, she has pride. And if she suffers, can suffer in silence. But why should she suffer? She has everything, everything. I torment myself without cause. You remember the letter my daughter gave you to post, the one to Monsieur Gabriel? Yes, madame. You took it from me on the road. I hope I did not do wrong in parting with it. Mademoiselle Beatrice desired me to post it with my own hands. You did right, she said. It does not matter who posts a letter. You did not tell my daughter I took it from you? No, madame. You are faithful and judicious, she said but her praise gave me no pleasure. If I had lived, I would have rewarded you. You must not repeat to my daughter or to Mr. Almer what I have been saying to you. Promise me. I gave her the promise, and then she said that perhaps she would give me a message to deliver to her daughter, her last message, but she must think of it first, and if she forgot it, I was to ask her for it. After that she was quiet and spoke to no one. A couple of hours passed, and I asked the doctors whether she had longed to live. They said she could not live another hour. I then told them that she had asked me to remind her of a message she wished me to give to her daughter, and whether it was right I should disturb her. They said that the wishes of the dying should be respected 
and that I should try to make her understand that death was very near. I put my face again very close to hers. "'Can you hear me?' I asked. "'Who are you?' she said. Her words were but a breath, and I could only understand them by watching the movements of her lips. "'I am Denise.' "'Ah, yes,' she replied. "'Denise, that my daughter is fond of.' "'You wished me to give a message to your daughter.' "'I don't know what it was. I have done everything for the best, yes, everything.' and she was foolish enough to rebel and to tell me that i might live to repent my work but see how wrong she was and presently she said denise when my daughter comes home ask her to forgive me these were her last words before the sun rose the next morning she was dead mr and mrs almer arrived at the villa before she was buried it was a shocking interruption to their honeymoon, and their appearance showed how much they suffered. It was as if the whole course of their lives had been turned. Tears took the place of smiles, sorrow of joy. And how different was the appearance of the village! No feasting, no music and dancing. Everybody was serious and sad. And all within one short month. I gave Mrs. Almer her mother's dying message. When she heard the words, such a smile came upon her lips as I hoped never again to see upon a human face, it was so bitterly scornful and despairing. It is too late for forgiveness, she said, and not another word passed between us on the subject. Mrs. Almer did not wear mourning for her mother nor did her husband wish her to do so. I remember his saying to her, With some races, white is the emblem of mourning, not for that reason, Beatrice, but because it so well becomes you. I like you best in white. Now, as time went on, we all thought that the sadness which weighed upon Mrs. Almer's heart, and which seemed to put lead into her feet, would naturally pass away. But weeks and months elapsed, and she remained the same. There used to be color in her cheeks. It was all gone now. Her face was as white as milk. Her eyes used to sparkle and brighten, but now there was never to be seen any gladness in them. And she, who used to smile so often, now smiled no more. She moved about like one who was walking slowly to her grave. Mr. Almer made great efforts to arouse her, but she met him with coldness, and when he spoke to her she simply answered yes or no, and she did nothing whatever to make his home cheerful and happy. This weighed upon his spirits, as it would upon the spirits of any man, and during those times I often saw him gazing upon her from a distance when she was walking in the grounds, with a look in his eyes which denoted how troubled he was. Then, as if some thought had suddenly occurred to him, 
he would join her and endeavor to entice her into conversation. But she answered him only when she was compelled, and he became so chilled by her manner that soon he would himself grow silent, and they would pace the garden round and round for an hour together in the most complete silence. It hurt one to see it. They were never heard to quarrel, and the little they said to each other was said in a gentle way, but that seemed to make matters worse. Much better to have spoken outright, so that they might have known what was in each other's minds. A storm now and then is naturally good. It clears the air, and the sun always shines when it is over. But here a silent storm was brooding, which never burst and the only signs of it were seen in the sad faces of those who were suffering and who did not deserve to suffer. Imagine what the house was, my lady, and how we all felt who loved our master, and would have loved our lady, too, if she had allowed us. Cold as she was to us, we could not help pitying her. For my own part, I used to think I would rather live in a hut with a quarrelsome husband who would beat and starve me, than lead such a life as my master and mistress were leading. Once more, after many months had passed in this dreadful way, my master suddenly resolved to make another attempt to alter things for the better. He'd locked up his study and courted his wife with the perseverance and the love of a lover. It was really so, my lady. He gathered posies for her, and placed them on her desk and dressing-table. He spoke cheerfully to her, taking no apparent notice of her silence and reserve. He strove in a thousand little delicate ways to bring pleasure into her life. "'We will ride out today,' he would say. "'Very well,' she would answer. He would assist her into the saddle, and they would ride away, they two alone, he animated by but one desire to make her happy and they would return after some hours the master with an expression of suffering in his face which he would strive in vain to hide and she sad resigned and uncomplaining but that silence of hers that voice so seldom heard and when heard so gentle and soft and pathetic. I would rather have been beaten with an oak stick every day of my life than to have been compelled to endure it as he was compelled. For there was no relief or escape for him except in the doing of what it was not in his nature to do, to be downright cruel to her, or to find another woman to love him. He would have had no difficulty in this had he been so minded. Still, he did not relax his efforts to alter things for the better. He bought beautiful books and pictures and dresses and pet animals for her. He forgot nothing that a man could possibly think of to please a woman. He had frequently spoken to her of inviting friends to the villa, but she had never encouraged him to do so. Now, however, without consulting her, he called friends and acquaintances around him, and in a short time 
we were again overrun with company. She was the mistress of the house, and it would have been sinful in her to have neglected her duties as Mr. Almer's wife. Many young people came to the villa, and among them one day appeared Monsieur Gabriel, the artist who painted the picture. Chapter Five, The Gathering of the Storm At about this time, it was generally known that Mr. Almer expected to become a father within three or four months, and some people considered it strange that he should have selected the eve of an event so important for the celebration of social festivities. For my own part, I thought it a proof of his wisdom that he should desire his wife to be surrounded by an atmosphere of cheerfulness on such an occasion. Innocent laughter, music, pleasant society. What better kind of medicine is there in the world? But it did not do my lady good. She moved about listlessly, without heart and without spirit, and not until Monsieur Gabriel appeared was any change observable in her. The manner in which she received him was sufficiently remarkable. My lady was giving me some instructions as Mr. Almer and a strange gentleman came towards us. "'Beatrice,' said Mr. Almer, "'let me introduce Monsieur Gabriel to you, a friend whom I have not seen for years.' She looked at Monsieur Gabriel and bowed, and when she raised her head, her face and neck were crimson. Her eyes, too, had an angry light in them. Monsieur Gabriel also, whose natural complexion was florid, turned deathly white as his eyes fell upon her. Whether Mr. Almer observed these signs, I cannot say. They were plain enough to me, and I did not need anyone to tell me that those two had met before. My lady turned from her husband and Monsieur Gabriel in silence, and taking my arm walked into a retired part of the grounds. She could not have walked without assistance, for she was trembling violently. The moment we were alone her strength failed her, and she swooned dead away. I thought it prudent not to call or run for assistance, and I attended to her myself. Presently she recovered, and looking around with a frightened air, asked if any person but myself had seen her swoon. I answered no, and for a moment I thought she had some intention of confiding in me, but she said nothing more than, thank you, Denise. Do not speak of my fainting to any person. It is only that I am weak, and that the least thing overcomes me. Be sure that no one hears of it. No one shall hear from me, my lady, I said. She thanked me again and pressed my hand, and then we went into the house. After that there was no perceptible difference in her manner toward Monsieur Gabriel, than towards her other guests, but I, whose eyes were in a certain way opened, could not help observing that Monsieur Gabriel watched with anxiety her every movement and every expression. The summer-house in which all those pictures are stored away 
was given to Monsieur Gabriel for a studio, and there he painted and passed a great deal of his time. Mr. Almer often joined him there, and if appearances went for anything, they spent many happy hours together. About three weeks after Monsieur Gabriel came to the villa, my master took his wife into the studio, and they remained there for some time. It was understood that my lady had been prevailed upon to allow Monsieur Gabriel to paint her portrait. From that time, my lady's visits to the summer-house were frequent, at first always in her husband's company, but afterwards occasionally alone. One day she said to me, "'Denise, I have often wished to ask you a question, but till lately have not thought it worth while.' "'I am ready to answer anything, my lady,' I said. "'One morning,' she said after a pause, "'shortly after my dear father died, I gave you a letter to post for me in Geneva.' "'Yes, my lady,' I said, and it flashed upon me like a stroke of lightning that the letter she referred to was addressed to Monsieur Gabriel. Never till that moment had I thought of it. Did you post the letter for me, Denise, as I desired you? Did you do so with your own hands? Do not tremble. Mistakes often happen without our being able to prevent them, even fatal mistakes sometimes. I saw you drive away with the letter in your hand. You did not lose it? No, my lady, but before I had gone a mile on the road to Geneva, your mother overtook me, and said she knew you had given it to me to post immediately in Geneva, and that as she would be at the post office a good hour before me, which was true, she would put it into the post office with other letters. And you gave her the letter, Denise? Yes, my lady. Did my mother desire you not to mention to me that she had taken the letter from you? No, my lady, but on her deathbed... I hesitated, and my mistress said, Do not fear, Denise. You did no wrong. How should you know that a mother would conspire against her daughter's happiness? On her deathbed my mother spoke to you of that letter? Yes, my lady, and asked me if I had told you that she had taken it from me. I answered no, and she said I had done right. My lady, in telling you this, I am breaking the promise I gave her. I hope to be forgiven. It is right that you should tell me the truth when I desire you, about an affair I entrusted to you. Had you told me of your own account, it might have been a sin. I can see, my lady, that I should not have parted with the letter. I am truly sorry. The fault was not yours, Denise. The wrongdoing was not yours. I should have instructed you not to part with the letter to anyone, although even then it could not have been prevented. You could not have refused my mother. The past is lost to us forever. Her eyes were filled with tears, and she said, We will not speak of this again, Denise. 
and it was never mentioned again by either of us, though we both thought of it often enough. It was easy for me to arrive at an understanding of it. Monsieur Gabriel and my mistress had been lovers, and had been parted and kept apart by my lady's mother. The old lady had played a false and treacherous part towards her daughter, and by so doing had destroyed the happiness of her life. Whether my young lady thought that Mr. Almer had joined in the plot against her, that was what puzzled me a great deal at the time. But I was certain that he was innocent of the matter, as much a victim to the arts and wiles of a scheming old woman as the unfortunate lady he had married. The motive of the treachery was plain enough. Monsieur Gabriel was poor, a struggling artist, with his place to make in the world. My master was rich. Money and estates were his, and the old woman believed she would live to enjoy them if she could bring about a marriage between him and her daughter. She succeeded. Too well did she succeed, and she met with her punishment. Though she was dead in her grave, I had no pity for her, and her daughter also thought of her with bitterness. What misery is brought about by the mad worship of money which fills some person's souls? as though hearts count for nothing. I understood it all now. My lady's unhappiness, her silence, the estrangement between her and her husband. How often did I repeat the sad words she had uttered? The past is lost to us forever. Yes, it was indeed true. Sunshine had fled. A gloomy future was before her. Which was the most to be pitied, my lady or her innocent devoted husband, who lived in ignorance of the wrong which had been done? After the conversation I have just related, the behavior of my mistress toward Monsieur Gabriel underwent a change. She was gracious and familiar with him, and sometimes, as I noticed with grief, even tender. They walked frequently together. She was often in his studio when her husband was absent. Following out in my mind the course of events, I felt sure that explanations had passed between them, and that they were satisfied that neither had been intentionally false to the other. It was natural that this should have happened. But what good could come of this better understanding? Mischief was in the air, and no one saw it but myself. My lady recovered her cheerfulness. The color came back to her face. Her eyes were brighter. Life once more appeared enjoyable to her. Mr. Almer was delighted and unsuspicious. But behind these fair clouds, I seemed to hear the muttering of the thunder, and I dreaded the moment when my master's suspicions should be aroused. As my lady's time to become a mother drew near, many of the guests took their departure, but Monsieur Gabriel remained. He and Mr. Almer were the closest friends, and they would talk with the greatest animation about pictures and books. 
Monsieur Gabriel was very clever. The rapidity with which he would paint used to surprise us. His sketches were beautiful, and were hung everywhere about the house. Everybody sang his praises. He had a very sweet voice. He was a fine musician. There was not a subject he was not ready to converse upon. If it came to deep scholarship and learning, I have no doubt that Mr. Almer had the first place, but my master was never eager, as Monsieur Gabriel was, to display his gifts and to show off his brilliant qualities in society. Certainly he could not win ladies' hearts as easily as Monsieur Gabriel. These things are in the nature of a man, and one will play for the mere pleasure of winning, while another does not consider it worth his while to try. Of two such men, I know which is the better and more deserving of love. Rapid worker as Monsieur Gabriel was with his paintings and sketches, my lady's portrait hung upon his hands. He did not seem to be able to satisfy himself, and he was continually making alterations. When Master Christian was born, his mother's picture was still unfinished in Monsieur Gabriel's studio. End of section 12